Welcome to the Reform Rookie Podcast. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And so? Worthy vicar, do we find anything here of relics? By faith man lives and is made righteous, not by what he does for himself. Be it adoration of relics, singing of masses, pilgrimages to Rome, purchase of pardon for his sins, but by faith in what God has done for him already through his son. Dr. Martin, if you leave the Christian to live only by faith, if you sweep away all good works, all these glorious things you dismiss as mere crutches, what will you put in their place? Christ. Man only needs Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this evening. We thank you for the ability to gather together, to, to fellowship with the saints, to dig into your word, and then, Lord, to approach your throne of grace with our prayers and our supplications. Uh, Father, we thank you because we know it is only because of you and your love that you have bestowed on us that we can gather. And so, Father, we just pray that you would bless this time together. Uh, we do thank you for the mercies that you've had, and uh, we pray that you just give us wisdom and insight as we consider Thomas Watson's uh, words this evening. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Alrighty. So, starting off, all things for good, we are now in chapter 4, um, and the title of the chapter is Of Love to God. So we will begin reading. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called, who are the called, according to his purpose, Romans 8.28. And of course, that is the, uh, the one verse that this entire book is expounding on. Um, and uh, he's just full of insights, full of more scripture. And so it's been uh, very enjoyable. Uh, so number two here, and I'll explain that in a second. The people interested in this privilege, they are lovers of God. All things work together for good to those who love God despisers and haters of God have no lot or part in this privilege. It is the children's bread. It belongs only to those who love God. Because love to God is the very heart and spirit of true religion, I shall the more fully treat upon this. And for the further discussion of it, let us notice these five things concerning love to God. Okay, so just uh, a brief reminder. Um, the first uh, branch of the text was that all things work together for good. And so the last three chapters have been talking about that, um, the, what good things, uh, how good things have worked to the good, how the worst things work for the good, um, and the things that we can learn from why all things work together for good. And so that was the first three chapters. And now he's going to go to the second branch of the text, to those who love God. Um, the persons who are interested in this privilege, as he says. And so he says, those who despise and hate God have no part in this privilege. It is the children's bread, uh, the, those good things working for us. He's feeding his children. He's sustaining his children. Um, and so he says, love to God is the very heart and spirit of true religion. It is the greatest commandment, right? It is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so he's going to bring us to consider this topic of love more fully. And in this chapter, he wants to discuss five things concerning love to God. So the first one he wants us to, to point out 
is the nature of love to God. Love is an expansion of soul or the inflaming of the affections by which a Christian breathes after God as the supreme and sovereign good. Love is to the soul as the weights to the clock. It sets the soul going towards God as the wings by which we fly to heaven. By love, we cleave to God as the needle to the lodestone. All right, so we'll come back to that in a second. So an expansion, the nature of love to God, is an expansion of the soul, inflaming of the affections, waits to a clock. I had to look that up. <laughs> it's like, that sounds vaguely familiar. Um, but if you have like one of those Apple watches or something like, what waits? <laughs> this thing weighs nothing and it tells me everything I need to know. Um, but if you've ever seen a grandfather clock or a cuckoo clock or something like that, they have those things. They're not just decorative with the weights and uh, you would wind that up and that would actually store up energy as it comes down it would set the gears going. And so that's what he's saying is the nature of love to God. Um, love is to the soul as weights to the clock. Our love for him is what sets us going. It, it keeps the gears uh, turning. And of course, wings to fly to heaven, that makes sense. Uh, by love, we cleave to God as the needle to the lodestone. If you're not familiar, that's referring to a magnet. Um, it brings us closer to him. And so that's the nature of it. Any questions or comments about that? That's fairly straightforward it's a small reminder and then number two we have the ground of love to god that is knowledge we cannot love that which we do not know that our love may be drawn forth to god we must know these three things about him one fullness he has a fullness of grace to cleanse us and of a fullness uh, glory to crown us a fullness not only of sufficiency, but of redundancy. God is a sea of goodness without bottom and banks. Uh, he is infinite. You know, you think of a, a river and, it, you know, uh, in the rainy season, in the, in the flood season, it overflows its banks, right? But those banks normally keep it <laughs> inbound. It, there's a, a limited amount of it. With God, there is no, <laughs> there are no banks. There is no bottom. He is just infinite. Um, and so he's uh, full, full of grace, full of glory, uh, full of everything we need. He is a full of goodness. A freeness. God has an innate pro propensity to dispense mercy and grace. He drops as the honeycomb. Whoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. God does not require that we should bring money with us, only appetite. He has some glorious promises I think we just take for granted sometimes of all these things in here. He is naturally inclined to dispense mercy and grace. It's just part of who he is. Um, we bring no money, we just bring appetite. And so that is the freeness of, of the Lord. And then three, a propriety or property. We must know that this fullness in God is ours. This God is our God. Here is the ground of love, his deity and the saving interest that we have in him. So um, a propriety or property, um, talking about you know, um, a peculiarity, an essential quality. And part of the love that we have for God is that we must understand this fullness, that this fullness of God is ours. He will be our God. We will be his people. Um, you know, I was thinking about it as we... Uh, as Thomas Watson was talking about that, the ground of knowledge, um, the ground of our love is knowledge. 
And that's sort of a problem in the church today because uh, people don't tend to know God. Um, there is a way to know Him. You know, we know Him through experience. We know Him through um, the redeeming work, the regenerating work of the Spirit. Um, but we know Him by reading His Word and understanding His character, understanding who we are and who He is. And that's what brings us to love Him more and more is to feast on His world, uh, Word and His world and to get to know Him that way. Um, and many of us take for granted that. We have a superficial knowledge um, but oftentimes we see that, um, I would hope that we're not guilty of it here, but you see in conversations you might have with family or friends, or you'll see online, uh, people seem to have uh, an imbalanced view of God. He, he's only love, you know, he's, he would never bring bad things to happen. We'd have to redirect them to chapter two here about how he uses the worst things for good. Um, I mean, I've heard people say, you know, this storm, they're praying for the Lord to, you know, make the storm go off to sea, but they're saying, well, God would never send a storm. Um, we don't understand who He is. We don't understand His holiness. Um, but if we did understand His holiness more, we would have a greater love for Him because we'd recognize just how holy He is and how unholy we are and just how much we need His goodness as well and His mercy. Uh, but it's hard to appreciate the benefits, if you don't understand them as benefits, if you don't understand your, your desperate need. Any questions or comments about that regarding the, the knowledge of God being our, our ground of love? No? Okay. Again, if you have questions or comments, always feel free to raise your hand. All right, number three, the kinds of love. There's a love of appreciation when we set a high value upon God as being the most sublime and infinite good, we so esteem God as that if we have Him, we do not care though we lack all other things. The stars vanish when the sun appears. All creatures vanish in our thoughts when the sun of righteousness shines in His full splendor. Any thoughts on that? I've got one or two. That comment, when the, the stars vanish when the sun appears. I mean, you think of the night sky, if we didn't have all this light pollution. <laughs> you know, if we could see, if you go to a planetarium, if you've ever been out, way out there in the country where there's no city lights or even suburban lights to uh, um, kind of mess up the view, um, the sky is glorious. The, the things that you can see, the stars, uh, galaxies, and if you have a telescope, how much more you can see. And these things are, they're, they're beautiful, they're majestic. And when the sun comes out, you can't see any of it because the sun just fills up the sky. And that's the, the metaphor he's using here for the Lord, the son of righteousness. When we appreciate him, everything else that is wonderful in life, and there's many wonderful things. I mean, this is God's creation, and it's full of blessings and benefits and glories. Um, but compared to Christ, compared to God, they should all vanish when we're thinking of him. Steve and then Sarah. Um, so I, I saw a uh, John MacArthur study. He 
said I must decrease and you must increase. Mm -hmm. He's talking about the same situation when the sun appears because, like you said, they're still there. Right. You no longer see them. Right. And he's just warning uh, ministers and church leaders Mm -hmm. Right. We want to be pointing. <laughs> we want to be pointing people to God. Uh, we do have the unfortunately this uh, uh, cult of personality, and we celebrities. And <laughs> Joel just mentioned we were we were driving up 112, and she saw a church where apparently the pastor's face was kind of plastered on the side. She's like, "What are people going there for?" <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, we we tend to make you know the the flesh wants to make it about us instead of about him. It's scary ground. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, it's one of those things where we want to be mindful that we do have this appreciation for God. Um, you know, we, we've talked about things like persecution um, and what might come. We're, we're seeing people lose their jobs where people, you know, their, their financial situation is, is somewhat in jeopardy because of things that are going on. And we know this to be the case about believers around the world um, who not only risk their job, but their freedom, their, you know, everything uh, for the sake of Christ. Hebrews talks about being joyfully plundered, knowing that we have a better possession, a better inheritance. Um, and it's something for us just to examine ourselves and make sure that our heart is where it needs to be. Uh, because it's a very real possibility that we might be facing a time in the not-so-distant future where we might lose some of those other things. But if we have Christ, will we be content? Will it be enough? Um, will our love uh, continue? So, something to consider. Number two, a love of delight. As a man takes delight in a friend whom he loves... The soul that loves God rejoices in Him as His treasure and rests in Him as His center. The heart is so set upon God that it desires no more. Show us the Father and it suffices. Right? Show us the Father and it is enough. Thoughts on that? <laughs> now what does Jesus say? Where your treasure is, there is your heart also. Um, you know, thinking of delighting in a friend, you know, and, and how many of you might have a have now or have at some point in the past a, a close friend that was just just couldn't wait to be together, to hang out, to spend time together, um, just rejoicing in the good fellowship, rejoicing in, in, in all that made that friendship wonderful. <laughs> God is our, our, our perfect friend, right? We, we have a friend in Jesus, and we should, if we have him, it would be enough. One more. Number three a love of benevolence, which is a wishing well to the cause of God. He who is endeared in affection to his friend wishes all happiness to him. This is to love God when we are well-wishers. We desire that his interest may prevail. Our desire and prayer is that his name may be had in honor, that his gospel, which is the rod of his strength, may, like Aaron's rod, blossom and bring forth fruit. I don't think I have to... Sorry, let's go back for a second. Comments on that. Erin. Mm-hmm. Right. 
No, exactly. Um, you would think <laughs> you have to wish well for God. He's pretty much got everything he needs, right? He can do anything he wants. Um, but the idea is that we would love him so much. Uh, you could think of it on a, a you know, a, on a human level, right? If you have a friend whom you you love, you care about. You're going to do what you can to see them prosper. You're going to pray for them. You're going to give them assistance where you can. You'll put in a good word for them over here. Like you want, you want them to be well and to do well, and you want people to think well of them. Like, oh, have you met so-and-so? And you start listing off like, you know, oh, they do this and they do that, and they're just, they're just wonderful, right? <laughs> and think about God. You know, we want, we think of the Lord's Prayer, you know, hallowed be thy name. That's what we want. We want men to hallow the name of God. We, we want others to honor Him and to love Him the way we do. Um, and so we, we wish well for him in that sense, not that he needs us to, but it's just a showing a manifestation of our, our love for him. And so we, we pray that his will would be done, that his kingdom would come. Um, we pray that others would come to know him, that they would, they would bow the knee. Um, we want to see his gospel go forth. We want to see it bear fruit. And so that's what it means, a love of benevolence that we would have. Any other questions or comments on that? Hey, brother. Jake. No, that's an excellent example, too. I mean, here was, Jonathan was the next in line for the throne. <laughs> and he loved David so much, he, he did not care about his status. He didn't care about his position. Um, he entrusted himself to the Lord. And, I mean, he gave his own armor to David. He's just like, this is my guy, right? And he went out of his way. He put his own life at risk um, to, to care for David. You know, arousing his father's anger, getting himself, you know, with a, a spear uh, thrown at him. Um, but yeah, that's that's the kind of love that you would go to great lengths to to demonstrate. Right. Right. Amen. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Setting the example. He came to serve. Right? Exactly. And to lay down his life for his friends. Exactly right. Very good. Number four, the properties of love. Okay. Number one, our love to God must be entire. And that, in regard of the subject, it must be with the whole heart. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. In the old law, a high priest was not to marry with a widow, nor with a harlot. Not with a widow, because he had not her first love. Nor with a harlot, because he had not all her love. God will have the whole heart. The heart, their heart is divided. This is from Hosea. The true mother would not have the child divided, and God will not have the heart divided. God will not have only one room in the heart, and all the other rooms let out to sin. It must be an entire love. Okay, back to that. Thoughts on that? That was a very nice way of putting it by Thomas Watson. 
Um, but that's interesting, you know, um, using the Mosaic Covenant, and there's so many um, lessons to be learned there from the law and regarding to God's holiness and His character, but there's pictures and, and things that He's trying to convey that we see, not only in the sacrifices, but even in the priesthood and what they were supposed to be like. And here, you know, some people say, oh, that would be so mean that he can't marry a widow. He can't marry her. But he's a picture of God, right? Um, and so what's the lesson to be learned there is that he wants to be our first love, right? And he wants all of our love. And that love is not to be divided. So there, there's a lesson in there um, being communicated. Erica. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess I'm not supposed to make it a direct equivalent. Mm-hmm. But, um, and someone who thinks that there is still the same amount of love there. I think it's, yeah, you don't want to go too far with the analogy, right? Um, it's, a, it's a picture. Um, and what does uh, Christ say to the church in, in Ephesus about losing their first love? You know, he, it's a picture. When we think of, of first fruits, it's our very best. It's, it's everything. We're, you know, we're, we're totally committed. Um, you think of, uh, you know, the stories of young people in love, and it's just like, you know, passionate and enthusiastic and, and they see older people, and either they've done really well, and they're still passionately in love with you, or they're just like, uh, <laughs> you know. But the idea is that this was the, the true love, the, you know, the, the first choice, you know, not, not what was left over, not, not the second pick. I, I don't know how far you, you would take it, but just, again, as a picture. Is there a limit to love? I mean, keep in mind when... when the Lord talks about uh, love in, in other places as far as, you know, Jesus talks about the law. Um, the greatest commandments are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and we see this based on actions, right? How do we show love? We can have love for everyone. Have love for different people based on the context of the relationship. You know, your love for your spouse is going to be different than your love for your neighbor, but you're supposed to have a love for them. Alex. It's a ceremonial law. That's why you don't have that now, you know. Um, when you look at, say, a pastor, for example, and, and 
um, talking about the qualifications, like, well, you can only be married to, you know, uh, this one woman, yes, <laughs> right? Um, but it's not to say it's one woman at a time. And it doesn't say, well, there's a, there's a, a prohibition against being a, um, a widow or, or perhaps even someone who was promiscuous earlier on in, in her life or something like that. These are ceremonial things that are done away with. They're meant to show a picture. So like he said, you know, the priest's, the priest's requirement, um, much like the, the clothing requirement or the, the dietary things, talking about clean and unclean and just showing pictures. So that's not something like, well, with the application continues today. Does that make sense? Thank you. Thank you, Alex, for bringing that up and a little clarity. All right. The second property of love. Love to God must be sincere. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus in sincerity. Sincere, it alludes to honey that is quite pure. Our love to God is sincere when it is pure and without self-interest. This the schoolmen call a love of friendship. We must love Christ, as uh, Augustine says, for himself, as we love sweet wine for its taste. God's beauty and love must be the two lodestones to draw our love to him. Alexander had two friends. I meant to practice these earlier. <laughs> I saw them, I was like, oh. Um, Hephaestion and Craterus, of whom he said, Hephaestion loves me because I am Alexander. Craterus loves me because I am King Alexander. The one loved his person, the other loved his gifts. Many love God because he gives them food and wine and not for his intrinsic excellencies. We must love God more for what he is than for what he bestows. True love is not mercenary. You need not hire a mother to love her child. A soul deeply in love with God needs not be hired by rewards. It cannot but love him for that luster of beauty which sparkles forth in him. Okay, so sincere. Um, it's kind of going back to a more archaic uh, definition, which has been fun looking up some of these words. I'm like, I know that word, but not the way he's using it. Um, but it's actually pretty similar to, um, to the word. The older definition comes from the Latin, sinceris, clean, pure, uh, which is close to what we mean now, free from any pretense or deceit, a genuine, pure, not corrupted. And so he's talking sincere, like honey that is pure. And so we must love him that is pure without self-interest, without looking at him as well. Like many, unfortunately, fall prey to today is that health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. I love God because he's going to give me stuff. You know, he's going to give me money. He's going to give me health. He's going to give me all the desires of my heart. He's more like a genie in a bottle for them than the God who is the creator of the heavens and earth um, who has saved us. And so uh, Thomas Watson says, without self-interest, loving Christ for himself. Um, and we have that example by Alexander. Questions or comments about that? Zach? Good question. Maria is going to solve it first. <laughs>
I got something, but we'll see if someone else. That is true. That is true. Mike? It, it is a question how many people profess God just because it's like a fire insurance, you know? Like, oh, I don't want to go to hell, so I love God. <laughs> I'll see you on Sunday because, you know. No, it's okay. No, I just, I just, I just, I just, the fact that you recognize right, right, right. that because people do have impure motives. Mm -hmm. Some people, you know, they love God because he is against evil. Well, I, I just have to do this. And it's like, mm -hmm. no, God is the gift. Mm -hmm. He's the gift. Mm -hmm. And that word sincere, um, it's like an old pottery term, without wax. So when, when, when somebody is selling a piece of pottery, sometimes they have cracks in it, and they would fill those cracks in when they sold a piece of pottery and said it was sincere, it's without wax. It's perfect. Yeah. That's, that's, the way, that's the way we're supposed to love God, without these cracks. Like, oh, I love God because I want to do it. I, I love God because it's possible. Mm -hmm. I love God because it's effective. I love mm -hmm. God because it's God. Right. It's, you go to the story of Job, right? <laughs> Have you, have you noticed my servant Job? <laughs> oh, sure, you gave him everything. Why wouldn't he love you? Men love people who, who put all these gifts on him. And he says, okay, take everything, but don't touch him. And he took everything. And what does Job say? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he did not sin. And then he said, ah, you got his health, though, right? Health, wealth, and prosperity. Um, he took his health away. He goes, but you, don't, you, you can't kill him. And so, still, he does not sin yet. <laughs> he gets a little uh, cranky later on and kind of loses perspective. What? He, he did, at some point, you know, he was um, really being miserable in his circumstances, but still asking for uh, uh, a discussion with the Lord. And then God comes and speaks to him and... He repents right away. He doesn't continue where you see Cain. Cain is angry at God, and when he questions him, he goes, he starts mouthing off to him and being sarcastic and disrespectful. Am I my brother's keeper because he was a keeper of the flock? Am I supposed to be his keeper? I mean, that's a hatred and a hard heart towards God. It shows you where we would be if it wasn't for the grace of God, how, how de depraved we can be towards him. But, I mean, his wife comes to him and says, do you hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. 
And he says, you speak as one of the foolish women, which I think is actually a commendation to her because he's like, you are a fool. <laughs> he's like, you're spe- this isn't in your character. You're speaking out of character. You're speaking like one of those people. You know better, right? And so he had lost all his wealth. He had lost his children. He had lost his health, and he still loved God. He says, even in all the diatribes, I know that my Redeemer lives, right? And so he still has a love for God, although God has taken everything away from him to prove the sincerity of his love. Um, you know, it, it mentions here, uh, you don't need to hire a mother to love her child. <laughs> Can that child do anything for her as a baby, as an infant? Just keep her awake. <laughs> you know, just uh, bite her when, when the baby's teething. You know, we could go on and on. We won't talk about it. <laughs> Babies are wonderful, but they are a challenge at times, right? But a mother loves her child, right? And a child, think of us, we love our parents. And some of us had some not so great parents, but there's still a love there. There's, there's still this connection because of, that's my parent, that's my mom, that's my dad. It's family is family. As dysfunctional as our families can be at times, we still love them, even if they have nothing that they can offer us. And so how can we love God besides just what he's given us? He's our parent. <laughs> he created us. He created everything. So I mean, before the fall, they had no sin. They loved him because of who he was. You know, they were his creation and they loved him. Then they fell. Um, but it is possible to love God. In fact, Romans 1 accuses all mankind for recognizing God's power, all of creation, his, his you know, eternal, invisible attributes. Um, his power and all that, and they don't give thanks, which means they should give thanks, but because of their sin, they're not. And so the, the fact of the matter is, none of us would have loved God in our fallen state if He hadn't loved us first and regenerated us. But, you know, for some, coming to know that we're sinners headed to hell, but God has made a way of redemption and salvation. Well, that could be, yes, the first reason why we love him. Because, like, well, that's great news because <laughs> I had all this guilt and I knew I was wrong. I knew I deserved punishment because we're image bearers and we understand that. And so to love God because of what he's done, sure. But if you continue to grow in your walk and you start to realize all the attributes of God and just how amazing he is, your love will grow in its sincerity. Of course, we're still sinners. We struggle with the flesh. Our motives aren't always as pure as they should be but hopefully we're growing in our sanctification and improving that. Jerry. I have one other thing that, I don't know how you would categorize it, but also as you build that relationship with God, as he builds it with you, mm-hmm. uh, your life clearly becomes less chaotic, mm-hmm. more peaceful. And that in and of itself, uh, I think, generates a love. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's true. It, it's an excellent question, and I mean, and I've I've heard that question asked in in less than respectful ways. <laughs> like, well, God just wants us to worship Him. Like, what sort of ego trip is He on? Well, when you create a whole universe, and then you can come back and, and talk to Him. Um, but no, it, it is a it is a good question. Recognizing 
we're sinners. <laughs> you know, I know I like gifts, right? I would, you know, I mean, Proverbs talks about how the rich man has many friends, right? Because people love that kind of stuff. So we, we can understand that with God, but it is a question worth asking, and the answer is there. So, no, I appreciate it. Yes, ma'am. Sorry. Go ahead, Trish. Yes. I think in, in those cases, the deception is so strong, they're just thinking, I just have to have more faith, or it's coming. You know, it's, it's amazing, because that stuff gets, you know, exported overseas, where you have third world countries, and these people have nothing but promises. And the little they have, they're given like the Macedonians, thinking they're going to get blessed. Um, but their motivation is wrong. So how they hold on to that, I don't know. I mean, we just had, a, you know, someone recently a celebrity uh, pastor or preacher or something passed away from COVID who was all anti. You got to be careful about that, being arrogant and like, oh, and, and saying what God is going to do and not do. That's presuming and dangerous ground. Um, but people will still believe. Go ahead. Time limit, you said? Oh, yeah. 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 You know, you're giving God ultimatum. Yeah. Yeah. It's. And that's to help God prepare the gospel. Yeah. How is it even real? Yeah, I think. It is. It's amazing people can fall for that, but I mean, delusion, deception, we're good at self-deceiving, you know? Um, we want to believe the lie. I mean, and I mean, that's part of the judgment on them. Uh, I mean, I've heard, uh, you know, Paul Washer had referenced it because people, you know, they point to the false teachers as they ought to, saying, look at what this person is doing and how he's leading people astray. Like, well, the Word of God says these people acquire those kind of teachers because they have itchy ears and, and they, want those, uh, they want those teachings and so they look for it. I mean, it's actually a bizarre thing for people to try to be atheists, to suppress even his existence out. Lots of people would readily acknowledge there's a God, but they don't have a knowledge of Him. They don't read the Word. They don't want to believe. They want, they want a God in their own image. That's why idolatry is so popular from you know our, our primitive forefathers and forebears to even now we have our own new modern idols, but still it's mostly ourselves. It's we're looking to serve ourselves, um, and the beat goes on. Uh huh. Yep. We must be careful, we who think we stand. So stay rooted and grounded in the Word. So number four. Um, nope. You guys aren't, make sure I'm not skipping ahead here. I'm like, we didn't get over there. Must be fervent. This is interesting. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Love to God must be fervent. This is great because this is coming up on Sunday, so remember. <laughs> I should probably move, put some of this into the sermon. <laughs> um, the Hebrew word for love signifies ardency of affection. Saints must be seraphim, burning in holy love. To love one coldly is the same as not to love him. The sun shines as hot as it can. Our love to God must be intense and vehement, like coals of juniper, which are the most, ac uh, sorry, most acute and fervent. Our love to transitory things must be indifferent. We must love as if we loved not. But our love to God must flame forth. The spouse was lovesick for Christ. We can never love God as much as He deserves. As God's punishing us is less than we deserve, so our loving Him is less than He deserves. It's an interesting way of looking at that. You follow that? <laughs> Some confused, like, what? Um, questions about that? Make sense? It must be fervent. Um, to love coldly, he says. We, we should not be indifferent. It, it's, it's, if someone who you loved <laughs> said, like, oh, I love you, <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> we're lacking sincerity <laughs> there. Um, it, you had been better to say nothing. <laughs> for, you'd have been better like, what? <laughs> I didn't hear you. <laughs> Go ahead, Erica. Right. Yes. I mean, we could say in this lifetime, they don't seem to be getting what they deserve. You can make that argument. Um, but God will repay each one according to their deeds. And so we know the reckoning will, coming, uh, will come. Um, but this is talking about those who love God. So I think he's specifically thinking of the saints. He's not punishing us what we deserve. And even in our day-to-day -day life, the consequences of our sin is not always as bad as we deserve. Yeah, right. He took the curse from us, the, the curse of death. Um, but chastening, discipline, yeah, I, I think that's what he's, he's trying to say there. i got to do something about my screensaver time. <laughs> it's, a new, it's a new laptop. I'm still getting used to it. Um, that's Song of Solomon. Canticles. Canticles is Song of Solomon. You're welcome. Yeah, I had a, it had come up a, a few weeks back. He, he referenced it about the spouse and desertion, and so I didn't bring it up again. But yes, that's Song of Solomon. What's that? No, no, no. It's, that's actual scripture right there. <laughs> um, so yeah, so the spouse was lovesick for Christ. Um, a, a fervent love is what we're to have. So um, what's that? Love to God. I just want to see... Oh, we're almost there. Oh, you didn't see that. Not yet. <laughs> one, one last one. Love to God must be active. It is like fire, which is the most active element. 
thing of uh, earth and water and wind and fire. It is called the labor of love. Love is no idle grace. It sets the head a-studying for God, and the feet a-running in the way of His commandments. The love of Christ constrains. Pretenses of love are insufficient. True love is not only seen at the tongue's end, but at the finger's end. It is the labor of love. The living creatures mentioned in Ezekiel 1.8 had wings, an emblem of a godly Christian. He has not only the wings of faith to fly, but hands under his wings. He works by love. He spends and is spent for Christ. Yes. Questions or comments about that? Yes. But the, the difference being fervent is more of the heart, the thoughts, the, the intention, mm-hmm. the desire. Mm-hmm. And the action is the actual living out life. Indeed. Yes. Yes. Keep in mind, it starts in the heart. Um, and that's what James talks about, you know, faith and works. We're not saved by our works, but it's a manifestation of true faith. If we say we have faith, but we don't do anything about it, he goes, it's worthless. It's dead faith. You know, the demons believe as well, and they shudder, you know. So it's not enough to say it, although we should, but it starts in the heart. And so talking about being enthusiastic and passionate, um, I meant to say before, but uh, we must be careful not to have more love for other things. He talked about the transitory. He talks about, you know, loving as if we do not. Um, you know, referencing having spouses and, and, and stuff, and that seems like, oh, well, you know, you're supposed to love your spouse. You're supposed to love your parents. You're supposed to have a, a love, but compared to our love for Christ, you know, we must understand that He must be our first priority. God uh, must be our first pri- priority. Um, there might be times where we're called to choose. You know, will you denounce Christ um, to keep hold of something else? Um, and so He should be our priority, and we should have an impassionate love for Him, uh, a fervent enthusiastic love for him for love to be active that's in the doing um remembering before our god and father um i think that was more from the the first thessalonians 1 3 uh, where he says remembering before our god and father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So he says love is not idle. It's not just feelings. It's not just a profession of love. Um, All of the law is focused on love that is manifested in our conduct, right? Um, Talked about all the law and the prophets. Hang on these two, to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, So he says not only at the tongue's end, not just what you say, but at the finger's end, and that doesn't mean pointing in some place. It means working with your hands to demonstrate uh, that love. Serving God, um, he says, he spends and is spent for Christ. And so our love must be active, and it'll manifest itself in our conduct. So, questions or comments about that? Erica. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.3. It's in his greeting there, yeah. Yeah. I was just giving a little bit more of the, uh, of the verse. Um, talking about that. He's saying, I'm remembering <laughs> your labor of love. What they did. Um, the Thessalonians, they had a reputation that was expanding. Because we don't have to 
tell anyone of you. You, you know, the, 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 the gospel was going forth and, and they were showing themselves with a, a love for the saints. So there's that. All right, so we're going to cut it off there. Now, if you have any more final questions. I know I was completely shocked that this came up, right? <laughs> Didn't see it coming. I thought we had another 15 minutes. Well, with me, it could have been. <laughs> but I love you guys. <laughs> okay. So any questions or comments? Mm-hmm. What the parameters for it are. So I do see parallels to loving people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was wondering, how do you determine the difference between what is considered idolatry of that person on earth compared mm-hmm. to, you know? Hmm. That's a good question because people talk about, you know, making an idol out of. Uh, a spouse or making an idol out of family. And sometimes those accusations are accurate, you know, and sometimes they're not. Um, but you have to recognize, well, what are the biblical standards and guidelines? You know, am I choosing someone I love, you know, whether it be a family member or a friend or, you know, some, some other context? Um, am I showing a love that supplants God, right? God is on the throne. He's to be the priority. Um, you know, when it talked about uh, fervent, you know, we must love uh, as if we love not. And he talked about spouses and if you're married, being as if you're not married, right? And that's not to say you abandon your spouse and you don't do what you're supposed to do, but you must love God. And if there are times of persecution and, and difficult circumstances that are coming, you must honor Him first. He is the priority. Um, We're told to submit to the governing authorities, right? And yet when the apostles are brought forth before those governing authorities and said, we told you to stop preaching the name of Christ. It says, decide for yourself if it's right for us to obey God rather than men, right? They understood we have an obligation to submit to authority, but God comes first. And so he's our priority. And so... We have to look at what are the scriptural parameters, um, and that will give us an idea. Um, you know, we can examine our own hearts. <laughs> what, what's more important to me, being faithful to the Lord or anything else? If that anything else is able to take up more of our time, more of our love, more, we recognize that we might be in danger of making an idol. Zach? What's that? To be submitted to. Because, <laughs> because like, why? Right. Some of them still do today. <laughs> they worship presidents and emperors and stuff like that. Um, he appoints them, they're a, a deacon. If you go to Romans 13, it says that they are the Lord's deacon, his servant. Um, They don't bear the sword for nothing. They're meant to, um, you know, punish evildoers and praise those who do good. Uh, Unfortunately, because we have sin in the world, um, men are not angels. (laughs) Men don't just obey the scriptures without threat of consequence. 
And so God has established a civil magistrate, actually all the way back in Genesis 9. Um, he says, if man sheds another man's blood, by man his blood will be shed, because man was made in the image of God. And at that point there, now if someone murders, like we already had murder earlier in, in, in Genesis, where Cain murders his brother and, and Lamech murders a young man, and there was no retribution, there was nothing in place for someone to come and kill them, at least not by God's decree. And so now he's put in place, they will punish evil, and if you kill someone, your life will be forfeit. And so God gives the law, and he gives judges, and he gives people with the authority to punish evildoers. So that's why kings exist and those in positions of authority. But we have to make sure that we honor God above them. So if they say something that would be sinful for us to obey, then we must disobey and honor God. I'll come. Jerry? There's also the other element, and it takes into another direction that we were talking about last time, but where uh, at one point in the scripture, God said, do you want a king? I give you a king. Mm -hmm. yep. you know, so there was, a, there was a change. Yeah. I mean, that was a covenant people. He had actually put in place back in Deuteronomy 17 that there was laws for, you know, they would want a king and, and they could have a king if it was done right. Their motivation for wanting a king, they wanted to be like all the other nations. God was their king. God was protecting them. God was sustaining them. But they wanted to do things on their own uh, way and they wanted to be like everyone else. And so they rejected him. So we have that. Does that answer your question, though, as far as like, why does God appoint kings? Okay. We can talk more about it. <laughs> Sometimes we ask that, like, why? <laughs> why do we have these people? <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of good questions, that really. Uh, keep them coming. All right, so we will close in prayer, and then we need to get to prayer. This surprisingly went a little bit longer than I thought. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the teachers you give us. We thank you for our brother Thomas Watson, who has gone on to be in glory and to be before your face. But we appreciate the insights. We appreciate um, just the way we can meditate on one verse and think of all the applications and all the, the glorious things that go along with it. Father, we pray that our love for you would be uh, fervent, that it would be active, and Father, that it would be sincere. Uh, we thank you for your mercy in our life, that you do work all things for our good. We pray you'd give us more understanding that we might love you more and serve you better. And Lord, now as we approach your throne of grace with our, our praises and our, and our prayers and our petitions, we thank you because we know because of your love, you hear us. And so we praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to the Reformed Rookie Podcast, where we aim to teach Reformed theology to beginners or rookies. Be sure to look us up on the web at www.reformedrookie.com, where you will find many more learning tools and aids to help you grow in your understanding of all things Reformed. And remember, Semper Reformanda. Dr. Luther, are you prepared to retract these writings? In some, I discuss faith and good works. If I were to retract these, I should be denying accepted Christian truths. Martin Luther, you have not yet answered the question. Will you recant, or will you not? Here it is. I am bound to my beliefs by the texts of the Bible. My conscience is captive to the word of God.
I cannot and I will not recant. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen.